Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hello and welcome. This is your Weekend Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Gabe Lezra. I am very excited to be here. Um, and I'm joined um, only by Om Arvind this week. Hey, Om. Hey. Um, and I just wanted to shout out, Keon is um, dealing with some family stuff. So, uh, you know, we're, I'm, I feel bad. You've been doing this without him, man. We've been doing this together for such a long time. But, you know, the show must go on. So here we are. Um, we're here to talk about... I mean, look, it was a pretty good weekend for Real Madrid overall. Um, like, it was, you know, Madrid picked up two points. That's huge going forward. I mean, you know, the, the, the spate of draws at the beginning of the season were these series of two points dropped, so you have to pick them up sometime. This is what happened this weekend with the kind of squeaker against Malaga and then the uh, draw that Valencia and Barcelona fought to at the Mestalla. Um, so, like... Let's just jump into uh, Real Madrid. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. My, I think my feeling overall in the match is that Madrid really kind of looked discombobulated. And I wonder if, how much that has to do with this kind of, I don't know, not super odd, but also not super uh, exciting lineup that Zidane rolled out in the midfield forward. Yeah, so discombobulated would probably be the right word to describe how we were playing, especially with the ball. And I guess without it as well. Um, and I I couldn't tell what the formation was throughout the entire game, and I, I've been looking at heat maps afterwards. I looked at 11 taking 11's uh, pass map as well, and I still can't figure it out, and that's mainly because of Isco's role. So yeah. you, you had four at the back, and then you had what looked like a midfield four and then two strikers, right? But Isco's positioning was, if you look at the heat map, it's literally all over the place. So he's in the left wing, he's on the right wing, a little bit in the center, a lot in our defensive third as well. Um, okay, so you're like, okay, so maybe it was kind of a 4-3-3, but then you look at Ronaldo and Benzema's positioning, and they're really kind of like strikers. That's right. what they really look like. And then Kroos and Casemiro, don't, they, they don't do much roaming. So they're, they're pretty much fixed in position, and Lucas Vasquez is obviously stuck to the right. So I wasn't sure throughout the whole game what the formation was, and Isco was really the only player that w- that that seemed to have this kind of freedom to move wherever he pleased, and I think it offset us a little bit. Do you think? I, yeah, yeah. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Because uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say that I'm fine with Isco roaming as long as other people kind of roam with him and move to fill in his place. Because the deal was right, like Isco would leave the left wing and he comes overload the right, 
and then Marcelo would just be all by himself on the left. And Ronaldo would sometimes move over to the left to kind of adjust, and sometimes Benzema would, but a lot of the times it was just Marcelo there. And, you know, maybe Lucas should swap wings, you know, so we have this nice spacing, we have access to all areas of the pitch, because then it, then we kind of became clogged in areas that we didn't need to be. Um, right. And it's, especially when when you want to play in a 4-4-2, which is what I really kind of think the formation was, especially given the formation prior to this match was a 4-4-2, um, you, you don't want that kind of fluidity as much. Um, you, you definitely want your wide, wide midfielders cutting inside to kind of access the half spaces, but you want some kind of structural solidity because when you try to press, it's a big deal when you don't have another player on the left wing and you have kind of Marcelo hung out to dry. Right. And then when we were transitioning back into a defensive shape after our press failed, our, our midfield was still all, all over the place. And you saw that on some of the goals we conceded. Um, on the long-range shot, he, the dude, I can't remember who scored it. I, I think it was um, it was Castro who scored that long-range yeah. goal. Which, it was a huge, it was a huge keep, goalkeeping error, but there was no one closing him down. Like, he had two to three seconds of space to pick his head up, you know, you know pick his place and goal, and it was because our, our midfield was disorganized, and I think that has a lot to do with how our offense is structured and with the kind of freedom afforded to Isco and, to, and, and with no one else being allowed to transition into the spaces he leaves behind, and it makes it difficult for us to move back into a defensive shape and stop counterattacks and even slow possession plays sometimes. Do you feel like it would make more sense to have this kind of um, role for Isco if, if kind of there was more of a commitment to kind of more of a 4-3-3 structure then? Yeah, if it was a 4-3-3, I kind of could have understood it, right? Because then Ronaldo's on the left, and then Isco's kind of the roaming playmaker, whereas you have Casemiro as the defensive midfielder, and Kroos is kind of the distributor. That makes more sense. And then, because, right, we have, like, we have access to all zones of the pitch when we want to press and then when we want to transition to defense. And also in the diamond... I'm cool with Isco roaming because that's what he's supposed to do, right? He's the tip of the he's he's the tip of the spear. He's there to provide midfield overloads. It's just that the issue with Isco roaming and that like that I kept talking about then was that he was coming too deep and it was kind of pointless because you had three central midfielders who were already deep and I didn't understand why he was doing that. But when you're looking at it in, in what seemed to be a four four two, it didn't really make sense, especially since no one was kind of rotating out wide. So yeah, if if it was a four three three and that's what Zidane intended, then it was kind of Ronaldo who was making the mistake of not sticking out to the left. But honestly, he he usually does a good job. His issue when playing out on the wing has become dribbling, but he stays out wide more often than people give him credit for when Zidane wants him to. So that that's what makes me think that it was a four four two. Yeah, I agree. I I mean Ronaldo is not a tactically you know. Not a tactical banana, <laughs> the way everyone <laughs> jokes about Zidane, but he's not. He's a he's actually a quite a quite a smart player. You don't become who he is without being smart and understanding your role in a system. Uh, and fundamentally, I you know look, I agree with that entire analysis ba- basically because I think it's more likely that Zidane had in mind some sort of four four two. Which would which would include an Isco's role as this kind of roving playmaker, but you know it, it just the I think the problem isn't in th- there isn't a obvious problem other than like some of the stuff that we've discussed on a theoretical basis. It's just that it, this is not a setup that this team seems to be quite created to play, 
And especially, I thought some of the team selection questions there were were really begging. Like, why? I, I mean, to be honest, like I, I still don't understand the the why Lukas Vazquez is in this is in this match at all. I mean, like I understand that Modric, you want to get him some rest from time to time, but I mean, I, I just felt like this was crying out for Ceballos at, in the center to to work with Isco. I don't know. I, I'm I'm interested in your your position on that. Um. Yeah, Ceballos. We've been we've been talking about um, the past like four to five podcasts how we want Sabios to come on instead of a winger coming on. Um, in this instance, if Zidane wanted to play a wide player and go with the four four two, and he and he thinks well, there's no place for Sabios. I understand that, but then why play Lucas? Right? Like I, I don't I don't really have a problem with Lucas in in general with his play. Um, so but then play Asensio right because then if Isco swaps yeah. to the right Asensio is really comfortable with roaming and then he can adjust to Isco's movements See, that's, then, that's a crucial you know point right it just it, it feels like Lucas Vazquez is a very useful piece but he his the, the the cog that he fits into is only this kind of right winger and like he really he does a great yeah. job being both a defensive and an offensive right winger and he brings a lot of energy uh to the position but if you're gonna have a if you're gonna play a four four two and say to your your left winger by the way you're gonna have essentially total creative freedom you're gonna need your right winger to basically mirror your left winger's moves at all times mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. otherwise you're gonna have a huge chunk of space somewhere on the pitch yeah and I, I think what Zidane's trying to do is he understood, he, he saw the way how, how we weren't necessarily playing the diamond the best uh, early on in the season and how teams like Tottenham were exploiting it. And he's like, okay, well, maybe we need to shift away from that because Bale's still out, right? Technically, there's no reason for him to stop using the diamond uh, because of personnel issues. It, it's obviously a conscious tactical decision. So he's saying, okay, let's move to a flat 4-4-2 because that provides us more defensive solidity on the flanks. But he's also trying to retain Isco's like free roaming role, which was so good offensively last season. So he's trying to have it both ways. And I think if you want Isco to have a free role, kind of, you you can you can go with the four three three. Um, he, it's obviously not going to be as free as as Isco as attacking midfielder, but there's more license for him to go around midfield and influence areas of the pitch without abandoning these pockets of space out wide. Right. Um. And and I mean. It's interesting because I like we have we both have a lot of like kind of tactical questions about this match, but I mean, when we get down to it, actually, I thought Madrid looked pretty good in the first half at least, and that kind of you know the, obviously there are there the exact issues that we discussed are the reason right that the uh, that Malaga scored their first goal like but that being said like I still thought Madrid looked the better better side um yeah the problem is that in the second half something just kind of snapped and I think a lot of a lot of people kind of pointed to the you know the second Malaga goal that was extremely fluky and just uh, just not great um all around as this moment of another crisis of confidence for the team where instead of kind of playing this upbeat football that they had been playing since uh in I think both halves of the uh yeah, the, the the game at Nicosia and 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 uh, against Apoel, and then in this game, you know, the first half, everyone kind of clammed up, <laughs> and got a little bit intense and 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 upset that suddenly again they were in the position to drop points, and that, you know, that's that's I think that's a fair reaction to it. It's just that Madrid, you know, is, is lacking right this this sense that la- like they had last season that they're going to get that winning goal, and you know they. 
to 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 quite a big extent they've been right. I mean, like they it just hasn't. I mean, at this point last season, Madrid had scored thirteen headers, and you know right now we've only scored two, and they've both been from Casemiro, which is strange. Yeah, it's it's worth noting, right? Like. Yeah, we we discussed some tactical issues, but like you said, it, there's some there's some individual aspect to it. So there, the both goals were down to errors. So there was Kroos who gave the ball away really really badly for the first goal, which is completely uncharacteristic of him. And then Vallejo was put in a tough situation, but he kind of like runs away from Roland instead of moving towards him, and it's a it's a free goal. And then you have the Kiko Casillo mistake in the midfield, not not simply closing down a player who's taking a shot. And then, so you have kind of individual mistakes on that end. And then you have the buildup of individual uh, finishing errors from Ronaldo and Benzema that's affected their confidence. Because someone mentioned to me on Twitter, right, that weirdly Ronaldo doesn't look as confident as he usually does. And first I'm like, well, that's kind of ridiculous. But then if you really look at it, I know it's difficult to judge body language, but it, it really looks like he he has a little bit of a confidence issue, right? Because after he got that penalty, it, it was such a weak penalty he hit. And then after he put the ball in the back of the net, it, it was just relief. Just, yeah. Just going over his face because it was clear that he was he, he was thinking, what am I going to have to do to score? Because the ball just wasn't going in, right? He had a couple of great headers. He, he was shooting the ball well, but the keeper was just saving everything. And it, it was just that... at. at I mean, he's human, right? Like, at one point, if that keeps happening to you, you're just going to wonder, well, what do I have to do? Is luck just on my side here? Because I think he's hit the woodwork like five times. Yeah, season, no, so. I mean, it just... It, it's funny, in the um, in, in the show that I, I recorded this morning with Evan, we, we went on this whole, um, I think the last third of the show, we talked about what, for some reason all these kind of like old school, old white like dude media personalities in England decided to all go off on the same, at the same week, basically around the same time about expected goals. And like, we were trying to explain it like to, to the show, like, well, okay, these people keep saying stuff that's just not true about this stat that really what it does is describe, you know, really does, does do a good job describing luck, right? Fundamentally. And so, you know, when you look at that kind of the way places Ronaldo's been shooting from and the results of his the results of his shots, everything lines up with what you're saying, right? You you get a sense of a guy who is pressing and who is just not converting for a variety of reasons, right? Not converting high percentage chances sometimes and not converting you know, chances that maybe he converts in other situations and then not getting lucky with some, right? So he needs at least one of those three three things to be going on. And then, you know, th- the idea that Ronaldo would miss a penalty, I mean, it, it, the only way I can fathom that is if, if he's struggling with his own confidence because he is one of the world's great penalty shooters. He's not, he's a person who really, really rarely misses penalties despite, like, some of the, <laughs> I mean, like some of the some of the old you know moments of his right in the 2004 Euro Cup right he missed a penalty there I think and but like that's that's you know the kind of famous moments and that's it really like he he makes most of his penalties with Real Madrid he's as close to automatic as it comes in this game and I mean look he's still converted but God like the idea that he would miss a penalty I I mean like I, I can't think of the last time Ronaldo missed a penalty on. Yeah, it, and it's the way he took it as well, right? It wasn't like it was an incredible save from the keeper, like with his previous shots. It's not like he hit it off the post. It was, it was a little left of center, and that's it. It, it was, it, it didn't even have a lot of power hit on it. The goalkeeper just had to dive the right way, and it was guaranteed that he would save it. And 
that kind of that when when you see that from Ronaldo not stroking a a, pen, a penalty confidently, you're like, well, there's some confidence issues there. But now that he's got this goal, I'm so so happy because I think that's going to be like okay, it's going to tell Ronaldo that you know the curse or whatever you know that that dry streak is over, and I I really really think that that's gonna that's gonna start the flow of goals again because. You know, I, so many great strikers have said, you know, goals come in bunches. Yeah. And I, I think they're going to start flowing now. That's the way I used to describe it at the beginning of the season, right? It's a, goals come in bunches. They come in, uh, they're like a ketchup bottle, right? You squeeze and you squeeze and then they all explode out. Uh, and then, then they kind of go in, in, in cycles like that. But like, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful. Um, I thought the look on his face <laughs> did seem to indicate that he was buying into that right after the, after the penalty. But you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he scored now in his in his last two games, so hopefully he. Uh, I hopefully hopefully this does um, provoke this next kind of scoring boom. And and what's really good is that um, on top of all of this, Madrid is getting healthier as the as the weeks go by, which is very good because it, it looks now that Gareth Bale may come back and get some minutes uh, in in midweek against Fuenlabrada, uh, and it's it's possible that I mean I I haven't heard much on on Kaler. But I, I do want to point out also that I do think that Madrid do not go to to 2-2 if Kaler's in net. Like, I know that I, people have gotten annoyed at me for harping on this, but I just don't think that Kiko Casilla is quite at the level that Madrid need from their keeper. So, like, if you're going to have an unlucky, you know, a couple of unlucky bounces, one thing, but, like, a, a keeper who, like, you got to get, you got to, he has to do better on that shot than parry it into his own net. I, I mean, I... I, I agree. I think Kaler has improved a lot from last season. It's just that, I, I yeah, I think that if Navas is in that goal, it probably is not going in. But Kaler also had a bunch of mistakes last season. And, and yes, he's improved, especially the final third of that last season. He was incredible. I, I'm of the personal opinion that we, we need to go out and get a new first keeper, um, whether that's De Gea or that's Kepa. I, I think that, you know, Navas is possibly no longer in his prime and obviously Casilla is not good enough to be the number one so that's kind of where I'm leaning oh yeah no no that me too like absolutely right and I think that my my guess right would be that Kaler probably would be willing to stay on at Madrid that he he's given indications that he would still stick around and and would actually probably be willing to take kind of a Kiko Casillas backseat role to whoever comes in now but I, I I mean I think it regardless of what the future at yeah. that position is this right now it's a tough position it's the, it's the i yeah. think on this pitch today or yesterday Kiko Casilla was the least uh Madrid level player like he he just isn't quite there for me yeah i mean he's a good he's a good keeper but real madrid keepers there's something about keepers in top class that they're not allowed to make mistakes because they don't Big teams don't often concede high quality chances. I mean, this Real Madrid side maybe more than most, <laughs> but you know, keepers keepers won't see a lot of action, and then suddenly a shot will come flying at them, and they they've got to be sharp. And we've been spoiled with Iker Casillas for like 10, 10 seasons or whatever, just being sharp, sharp, sharp. And I think it was simply a case of Casillas just not really expecting that shot. And if he was maybe playing with a, a lower lower um, table team, he would have saved it because. He's every game he's used to facing 10, 12 shots right. and he's sharp. And but you just need a particular type of keeper. And I, you know, it's, I, I just don't think it's him. 
um, which isn't really a knock on his ability. It's, no, there's, there's just type. There's certain types of keepers that are, that that you need at big clubs. Well, it is a little bit of a knock on his ability, but it's not like yeah. saying he's not a first quality keeper. Like he is yeah. a starting keeper on most La Liga sides, but it just Madrid requires a level from your keeper that you know you basically can't make mistakes. You have to be on all the time and. Even that, you have to make saves that other keepers won't, right? Like that, Madrid expects world-class players, not just, you know, replacement level. And I think if anything, Kiko Casilla is a replacement level keeper, which is fine as your second keeper. But when he's playing for months on end like this, Madrid is going to have a tougher time simply because Kiko, as a replacement level keeper, won't make any of the saves that maybe a higher level keeper will just because he's not quite as good. But that doesn't mean that he can't, be a solid, the strong starter for a team in La Liga. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit more about. Um, well, I wanted to d- talk a little bit about that that penalty. And one of the things that 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 kind of struck me about it is that if you are one of these people who kind of th- is thinking that Ronaldo is a little bit cursed, <laughs> getting a rebound on a penalty is actually a pretty lucky thing. So yeah, that doesn't happen often. It doesn't. So like, if if the keeper is going to save it like this is the best possible outcome from a saved penalty. So you hope you've got to hope that maybe there's a little bit of luck, you know, turning around. And then today, uh, Valencia and, and Barca drew at one, one, despite, you know, Barca having a legal goal disallowed or not given when Messi's shot went over the bar or went under the, or, you know, under the bar. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of luck shifting, man. I'm, I'm, I'd be down for it because Madrid's luck this season has been absolutely poisonously bad. Yeah, Malaga also had a legal goal disallowed uh, from a foul from the header, I think. So, yeah, we definitely had a bit of luck over the past two days, which I'm definitely not, claiming, not complaining about. Yeah, and it, I mean, like we've been saying all season, luck does like come and go. and <laughs> But, you know, at the end of the years, it doesn't always you know, even out. But like it, the, it it's very unlikely and, 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 and strange for one team to experience as much luck and you know, and I, I don't mean that this is a huge knock on Barca, but just they've gotten a lot of luck this year. Like, there have been a lot of questionable calls that went their direction. They've had a lot of, like, I mean, just missed calls like that. They're, they're, um, the goal that for them that went out of bounds before the, the assist. Uh, I mean, like, there's a whole series of things that they've gotten this season that Madrid kind of got last year. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully it evens out a little bit going forward because, because man, it, has it been annoying to, like, watch... Madrid have these games where they hit the post five times and miss all of them, and Barcelona have the the other team score on themselves twice to, to <laughs> two to one. You know, it's like God damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I don't know if there's that much we more want to say about the the Malaga match. I was glad to see Luca um, Luca Modric come in. I mean, he obviously drew the drew the penalty, and and Madrid does feel like a different team when when he's on. Um, because he is just kind of a next level player. Yeah, I, and I think a big thing was when he came on, um, it, it turned four three three as well, um, and he he kind of he gave that positional discipline, right? Because Luca roams, but he kind of roams in, in his vertical zone in, instead of horizontally. So that kind of provides some structure. And Luca is just obviously one of the best uh, central midfielders in the world. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, he still looks good. And yeah, like you said, he came on, he gave us control, and he potentially changed the game. I mean, he did, right? He drew the penalty, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. right? But 
and and it's also like part of the issues is that I think Tony Crows arguably had his worst game in the of the last like couple of years from yeah. Madrid against Malaga. He just was really off. He was obviously you know at at fault for the the first goal. He just it was it was a screamer a little bit and like not great, not great. And when he's not great and Luka Modric isn't on, there is this feeling of a lack of a creative presence in Madrid's center midfield, right? That you know Cruz. Cruz is more than capable of providing when he's playing better than this, but he was absolutely not capable of providing it today. And so that duty kind of fell to, you know, a lot of different players to try to replicate the Tony Kroos, Luka Modric dynamic, a creative dynamic in that midfielder. And, and really what it led to was Isco having to do everything all the time. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's, that's cool. I, I'm like, if you, if you have anything else to talk about um, that you wanted to make sure you, you touched on, um, I'm down, uh, but if not, we'll go on to questions. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about the Barcelona match um, and your impressions of it, if you saw it. I did, yeah. So, yeah, why don't we do a few minutes on that? I um, Barcelona looked really good in the first 45 minutes. I think it's probably the best 45 minutes Barcelona's played all season. They suffocated Valencia um, really high up the pitch and really just, just really took that team to task and – I mean, Valencia is still a dangerous, really dangerous team on the counter. Like they're they're a good side, and to me, this was a, it was a fair result, even if there were uh, some nitpicks or nits that you could pick with the refereeing. <laughs> yeah, if if you're a Madrid fan that hasn't really watched Barcelona this season and is curious to to how one could kind of sum up their season and their performance, I say go and watch that first half. Or, or possibly the whole game, but really that first half of Barcelona play because it kind of sums up really what Valverde's side is about and the, the tactical philosophies implemented in this team. So the, the first thing you'll notice is, is really, really excellent pressing. And this shouldn't surprise you because Valverde's athletic Bilbao side was, was superb in that, um, in that aspect. And it, it's high pressing. It's pressing within their own half and especially counter-pressing which completed suff- completely suffocated Valencia. So Valencia just, as Gabe said, they just couldn't get out of their own half because Barcelona's counter-pressing was so good. And, and, but but, but on, on the flip side, it's Valverde's side doesn't really have that creative spark unless Messi's on the ball, which isn't totally on Valverde because they lost Neymar. And, you know, Iniesta's kind of a- aging and, and you have those factors. But, but it's really kind of... Valverde trying to mask some of Barcelona's weaknesses with pressing and counter-pressing so Barcelona can have a lot of the ball and just keep trying to create and create and, and trying to get Messi on the ball as much as possible. So that's kind of how you'd sum up Barcelona and that first half showed it really well. And then the second half would sum up Valencia really well. They came out a lot more composed on the ball. They were they passed the ball into space. You had Guedes, who, who's a rising star, um, who created the first goal. And you know, it was a real thorn in the side of Barcelona in the second half. And, you know, Valencia's speed, their pace on the counter, it, it was all on show today. So if you if you want to kind of sum up the performances of both those sides, you're going to want to watch that match because it gives a really good yeah. uh, kind of summary. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Like, it, it really does. Ex- like, if you want you know, want a crash course on what these two sides are, both good, what's both good and bad, because Valencia did not look particularly confident in that first half, did not seem to get out, be able to get out of Barcelona's press. But then Barcelona did show off some defensive weaknesses that were, you know, a, a lot of the match that was actually really expertly masked by Untiti, who had a really great game. But, you know, he, 
he can't keep doing that all the time, and that's where the goal came from, sort of, where Valencia just kind of broke down Barcelona finally. And, you know, Barca's response was a very beautiful uh, very beautiful play, but again, it was exactly what, what you were just saying, right? It required an absolute moment of genius from Messi, which, you know, <laughs> he's giving you a lot this season, but it's another aspect of that kind of luck where is Messi really going to play that well all the time? And, and I wonder, I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. I pretty much agree with that. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of, I mean, look, I have more to say about it. Cause fascinating. It was a fascinating game. And, and on top of all of that, I remember like one of them, one of the journalists I was, uh, I was following during the game was saying stuff like, well, La Liga considered adding goal line technology before VAR, but decided that goal line tech was uh, too expensive. Well, Are you for, fucking kidding? Yeah, I mean, like, for, it's it's an insane thing to say. Like, VAR, first of all, VAR is not even that expensive. But, like, goal line tech, like, my God, it is, like, the least expensive thing. It's been around forever. Like, it, it is so – that is such a stupid excuse for why this stupid, stupid bad league doesn't have goal it's literally, line tech. Christ, if and any any kind of amateur league could have goal line technology, I mean, there's just no excuse. No, it's it's not. I mean, look, there's no excuse for the sideline referee missing that call, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but but we should have goal line tech because in the moments when this shit happens, it's really bad and dumb, and everyone hates it. <laughs> there's this thing where like. You know, now all the Barcelona papers are gonna, you know, write about how the league is conspiring with with whatever to to do whatever. Like that's, you know, even even when like that's obviously not true. That's their favorite thing, their favorite narrative, and now they've been given it because the stupid, stupid, dumb, bad league won't invest the fucking. I bet it would cost less than ten thousand dollars per club to install VAR in every stadium in Spain. Like the idea that that they don't have that is nonsense. <laughs> like that's a lot of money for me, but it's not a lot of like, but it's not a lot of money for the federation that like sells its TV rights for millions and millions and millions yeah. of dollars every year. Anyways, um, all right, let's let's um, let's jump into your questions. We don't have too many this week, which is I think pretty good because I'm tired and and we want to you know keep it short and 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 sweet because we have um, poor Keon dealing with some stuff and. Uh, Anyways, yeah. So, um, and also, if I don't, we don't hit you this uh, this time. Just make sure you toss it in for the patron pod, and and Kian and I um, will will get to it then. Um, so, uh, actual question here from Nick Stefani. I know we gave up some cheap goals, one off of a poor giveaway and marking in the box by Kroos and Vallejo, respectively, and then an unreal awful stop by Casilla. Casilla, so happy Kaler is close to healthy. Aside from this, did you think the pair of the future looked good? That's actually a good talking. I'm glad we're addressing this. Also, all right, let's just get right into that. That's, a, that's an important talking point because for the first time ever, Madrid lined up Vallejo Baran, which a lot of Madridistas think of as the future of this center defense, which I think it probably is. But both of these guys have some injury, injury risk that is baked in. So Madrid will need to have a strong third center back at least going forward. Yeah, I, I I was happy with. See, my concern with with that pairing is that I've always thought they're really similar players, and both kind of like to be the sweeper type center back. So both want to cover spaces and behind and and run onto through balls because they're both really quick. They have both they both really have really good positioning. 
Um, and you need one one center back to step up and be aggressive and close down um, anyone who enters the space that Casemiro can't cover or a defensive midfielder can't cover. And Ramos has been really good at that, and that's why the ramos Veron pairing is so good because they complement each other. And I was really happy to see Vallejo kind of taking on that, that Ramos role because he was showing aggression. He was kind of um, tight to attackers that were moving into pockets of space, and he was stepping up. So that provided a good balance. And... Um, it's not something that Vallejo is. It's not something that comes supernatural to him because he'd love to be in that Varan role, but it's also not something he's uncomfortable in, as we saw um, in that game. And as long as he continues to improve on that, I I, I have a lot of faith uh, in this center back pairing for the future. Yeah, me too. I, f- I felt good about it as well. I um, I mean, look, I was looking to feel good about it, so there may be some confirmation bias, but they are both really good players, and despite Vallejo's, like, I think understandable mistake, uh, I think he played a good game, too, so they, they, I, I don't I don't know. I was a fan. Uh, generally, I think that, you know, again, there was a little bit of poor luck with, with the Casilla, the second goal, but that's you're not, not, not so much you can do about that. Um, all right, the second part of Nick's question so we've already discussed this a little bit, but let's let's get quite back. Um, also, I like the idea of Vasquez in the lineup for tactical reasons. Did you? And how much better do you think it would be when Bale and Asensio get healthy? Okay, so we we mentioned this. I think we kind of both get it, but now I don't. I mean, look, look, I don't want to speak for you, but I I don't love this positioning because of what we discussed earlier with regard to uh, Vasquez being a really unidimensional uh, winger. I would rather see someone, if you're going to give Isco such a free role, I'd rather see someone who is under much better at, at understanding where and when to go when someone else is moving um, uh, from a complementary position. So I, I like Vasquez, and I think that if you were playing a more traditional winger or requested that Isco stay kind of more put on the left, then it would make a little more sense. But not Or said, hey, Cristiano Ronaldo, you're actually playing wide, and we're playing like a 4-5-1 or a 4-3-3. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it was if Zidane wanted to go with a structured four four two, I perfectly understand placing Lucas Vasquez in that lineup, and I would have been totally cool with it because essentially that's his perfect position as a, as a wide, hardworking midfielder. But like like you said, and we said before, if he was looking for Isco to be super fluid, then it was obviously the wrong decision to complement uh, Lucas Vasquez on the other wing. Uh, it will be better though with Bale at least because. I think he'll be very happy to get back into a situation where they're playing a four through three. Yeah, because he can then swap to the left wing, right? And, and Bale doesn't necessarily enjoy that kind of like positional restriction that Vasquez does. So yeah, if, if Bale was playing, hey, our balance would have been a lot better. Right, you could put Bale in the Lucas Vasquez role in this formation, and it's a much better, more balanced lineup simply because of the way that Bale plays. Yeah. Um, and it, wait, I don't. I didn't know that Asensio was injured. I, I thought he was just. It was a technical decision to leave him off. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, oh. uh, if if Asensio is injured, then that um, kind of responds to the, one of the criticisms we had earlier, right? That like yeah. we would rather have seen Asensio in that role. But, um, but anyway, so uh, last one. Um, I think we've uh, looked night and day better since the Atletico game. Why is this? What's the difference from your point of view? Um, so, I, I think I don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm I'm trying to see if I agree. I think there is a little bit more confidence and joy kind of seeping back into the side. I thought the first, like I said, the first 45 minutes of the Malaga match actually weren't all that bad. Like they were, 
you know, a little bit more played with verve and confidence. Uh, so hopefully that, that continues. Um, I'm not sure the Atletico game is the triggering point. I think the blowout of the, the, in the champions league is more likely, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I'm not that convinced our level is that much higher right now than what we showed at Atletico. I mean, we blow up, we blew out Apple L, but it's also because they're Apple L and they're not Atletico Madrid. So you kind of expect our level to be higher, to look higher comparatively against that side. And, Against Malaga, again, you know, I, I guess you could say we were a little better because our offense was better. We were creating more. But again, it kind of had to do with weaker opposition. Like, I'm not sure if we played Atletico Madrid today that we would necessarily come away with a different result. But I, I can definitely buy into the idea that there's been some kind of gradual improvement from there and that, that confidence in some players is starting to build. Yeah, I, I, I think that is... I mean, personally, I think that's almost certain. Like... And especially like Benzema and Ronaldo, who are the ones who were most desperately needing it, I thought look even better. So um, I just want to shout out, man, Mark Reedy. Um, I just wanted to tell Gabe that I went to the Bernabeu and I had jamón empleados. I think you mean jamón empanada. I, I don't really know what an empleado is like a uh, a worker. <laughs> it's not a not a food, though. but like I think an empanada is what you're talking about or. Uh, whatever, just have anything with jamon is awesome. And Fanta Limon, which is my absolute favorite. Uh, <laughs> I hope you like them both, dude. That's like my Spanish uh, snack right there. That's like uh, Fanta Limon rules, man. I can't believe that's not in the United States. I still don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Why what would people it? rather have fucking pineapple Fanta than a lemon Fanta? It's so much better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can't buy it. I'm serious. I, it's like the one thing I bring back in bulk when I go to Spain, that and like cheap wine. Um, all right. Sajid Reyaz. Um have we discounted the step uh, the step up being a good defender in a mid table Bundesliga team to one at Real Madrid? Um, I assume okay. Vallejo was woefully at fault for both goals. Wait, wait, wait. So can you just repeat the question he's okay, asking? I, I'm trying to. Have we? I think he's. Have we underrated the difference between being a good defender for a mid table Bundesliga side to being a good defender at Real Madrid? Um, I mean, no, because we like we talked about this before, right? Like that Vallejo's weakness is kind of dealing with aerial crosses and more trying to stick with his man. It's not like this materialized all of a sudden here and it's like, whoa, you know, we never saw this error coming. We saw that with Frankfurt and everything we've seen so far has been him kind of replicating his strengths. And also he has a little weaknesses here and there. And also... I, I kind of agree with Ke- what Keon said afterwards on Twitter that criticizing him harshly on that goal is, well, harsh because of the situation Kroos put the defense in. Obviously, you'd expect him to do better, and it's 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 an issue of concern, but I don't think that's a reason to say, well, clearly he's not ready for the level of Real Madrid because anyone who watched this guy yeah. would have known that. This guy, is, he's ready. I mean, he's ready. He has this one issue which is honestly for, for youngsters who usually have four or five issues, that's, that's kind of a blessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at that and say, well, he's not ready or like the level is too much for him. Like, no, he's ready. He, he's definitely ready. Right. And I would point to the previous Liga match, right. Where he, <laughs> no, like where he has played a really important role for Real Madrid. And he, I mean, it wasn't mo- this match for the, 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 and he did in this match too. I thought he completed a pretty solid game and, 
you know, the previous match in La Liga, I don't remember who we played. It was maybe, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, it's like, it was pre-international break, right? So like, um, but anyways, so yeah. So like, um, in the previous match, he actually, where he started, he, he looked great and he looked great against Win Labrada. He is more than ready for this side. Like I, I would, if look, it wouldn't be great, but if something were to happen to Sergio Ramos or Varan that would require a year long, you know, injury recovery, I wouldn't be totally, you know, I wouldn't feel like the, the season was over. Right. Because I actually yeah. think that Vallejo, I would be confident rolling him out in essentially any game, including against Barcelona. Like I really buy, I believe this kid. I, I yeah. understand the, the issues, but I, everything that we've seen, the, you know, that, that he has, that he brings and, and the kind of the kind of the other stuff you can work out the kinks, man. Like this is, this guy's the real deal. He is this season's, um, to me, so far, he's been the most most obvious version of Asensio this season, just because of how how much of an explosion he has made when he's when he's started. I thought he's been great both times. And today, look, I don't. I think it's extremely harsh to criticize him for the for the second goal too. Like, it was a long shot, and like That's again, like feel. I think Casilla is much more at fault for that than Vallejo is certainly. Yeah, and. So the game you were talking about was the one against Las Palmas. Las Palmas, right. And he, he was clear man of the match because our midfield was leaving our defense out to dry time and time again. He was, like, making Superman interventions, like these diving interceptions, these diving clearances. I, that match alone should have, like, ended any concerns about whether he's ready for this level. Not ended concerns that, you know, he maybe has some weaknesses, but ending concerns that he's ready for this level. Like, he's clearly ready. Yeah. That, that, match, that match was spectacular. Right. And, and, and exactly, it was exactly the match I was thinking of. And because like that in that match by himself, like he's, he was saving goals from Madrid, not just singular, plural, like, and it was almost every attack, you know, Sergio Ramos would be rushing back, but he wasn't there. And the only person there by was essentially playing as a sweeper, which is a, not really a role that we, we, we love to have in modern football. Like we really like to have a center defensive pairing, <laughs> but he was doing it all by himself. And, you know, we remember t- like various passes that if they get through Vallejo in the center are surefire one-on-ones and he was yeah. just blocking them all. So he's, he's the real deal. Um, um, okay. So knife Ahmed, um, I want to ask, do you think Icardi should be bought in during the winter? Um, uh, I don't know. I guess it depends on the price, but I, I don't know. I don't really buy it. I don't really buy it. I mean, I I, sh- I should just start off by saying I'm incredibly biased against Icardi because he's kind of a dickhead. Like, the whole situation he had with his teammate where, like, he basically stole his teammate's, like, wife or girlfriend or whatever <laughs> and, then, and, and then ended up getting custody of the kids and then they had a massive falling out and it was, like, just this really whole ugly situation that kind of makes him like appear like kind of a toxic figure in the dressing room. I mean, there's that. So like just straight up, I'm saying I don't like the guy, but I think trying to set that aside, I still wouldn't get him because like Real Madrid fans just have this like obsession with trying to get like a, a, a poacher type striker. Like if you want that, then get rid of Ronaldo. Like there's your ultimatum, right? Because if you want to play with the personnel we have and just essentially replace Benzema, then you need a player that's like Benzema. You know, I'm not saying that like, oh, this player should come in and be like a number 10, but he should be a kind of complete forward that that facilitates, that drops deep, that looks to create for others in the team. 
And Icardi just isn't that type of player. Like, objectively, he's a brilliant finisher. Like, he's one of the best in the world. But that's that's not his game, right? Like, if you were talking about a player thinking more like Harry Kane, who I wouldn't say, like, is an exact counterpart to Benzema, but is definitely more of a complete forward than Icardi is. So, yeah, I, I just don't see those signings ever materializing, or I personally wouldn't want them to, unless you really want to kind of change the, dy- dy- the dynamics of the squad. And when people say this... I assume they're they're thinking that he'll be paired with Ronaldo and that they don't also want to get rid of Ronaldo and kind of build around a new striker. Right. And it's it's I'm a little tired of um I'm not tired. I'm like I understand. I think what people are reacting to right is the, the perceived lack yeah. of goals even though right like Madrid has scored 9 goals over the last two ga- two games. So um, but yeah, look, there was a, it's, it's a perceived lack of goals and the, the loss of Morata in particular, but Morata and Hummus generally does leave a goal drought. And, you know, I, I think we were all led to believe that Asensio would step into those shoes and he on some level has, uh, and, uh, it's just, we haven't quite gotten, I mean, look, I, I just, again, like <laughs> it's annoying, but like, I, and I don't want to keep coming back to this, but this is a Madrid team that is down at this point, uh, Two points if in two games earlier in this season, balls bounce in off the post instead of bouncing out off the post. Like, really, that's it's fundamentally the, a fact. Like, that six, or that's four points, so Madrid would be down, like, six points. That's not – it doesn't matter. I just <laughs> – Madrid would be down four points, right? But, like, that's a totally different La Liga season than this one. Uh, and that – I mean, like, I think that the goal drought stuff is a little overblown. It's obviously annoying, but we also see, like – there are other problems here that are that 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 need to be solved more than going out and buying some like, you know, Rude Van Nistelrooy, you know, type who probably doesn't fit into this squad really. Yeah. Um, all right. The last question, Nicole Grant. Um, I would like to hear your thoughts on Ronaldo's PK. Okay, we already talked about both of these things. <laughs> Sorry, Nicole. We would like to hear your thoughts on Ronaldo's penalty kick. Also, would like to hear your thoughts on Vallejo. Um, so, yeah, we just literally just spoke about Vallejo. Uh, and, yeah, I think we've talked Ronaldo's penalty to death. I don't think there's that much more to say <laughs> about that, actually. Like, it was really good that he got the rebound because I think if he misses the penalty, he's in a really sour mood. And I don't know how, you know, how Madrid is going to be, how Madrid would be doing psychologically if they go two to get a penalty and Ronaldo misses like this kind of weak penalty right at the keeper. Like yeah, that's if, a blow psychologically. And also if he doesn't score that, we probably draw the game. And I think that just would have, the fans, like I would have just been like, all right, well, I kind of give up on the league this season because just clearly nothing is going our way. Um, So I, yeah, like, like you said, it's kind of symbolic in that it, it, it signifies that maybe our fortunes are turning around. And even if it's not what it really means, it's important if the players believe it. Right. Because if they believe it, then it's likely that the season will turn around. Right. And, like, there's an element of – the most important element is that, right? It does There is no some, like, you know, big, like, guiding hand guiding the, <laughs> the, the, the stroke of luck yeah. in, in, in soccer games. It's just not, like – but the only way in that in which that is that that kind of narrative really works is if all the players kind of feel like, hey, like we're turning it on right now. And it's it's we're finally we finally found the on switch to this season. And, you know, it's dumb, but I also feel like that is actually a totally fair you know, way to way to move forward if you're a player. Like because I mean, one of the things we talk about a lot in baseball is players get are, are extremely superstitious because fundamentally baseball is a sport that is based 
you know, 80% on luck. Like it just is like, it's one of the most important luck is one of the most important elements in baseball. So if you go through a street, uh, a series of good luck that can totally, you know, change you. And like, you have a different approach and you're feeling good. And then you hit a cold patch and, you know, you start questioning yourself, questioning everything when really what's going on is you're getting a little unlucky and, and then you're feeding into that bad cycle by trying to do adjustments to your game when in reality, all you need to keep doing is basically doing the same thing. And mm-hmm. I think that there's been a little bit of everything going on with Madrid yeah. season this year. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's basically it for this week. Um, yeah, we'll have more to talk about on the midweek show because there is a Copa match this, um, this midweek. I think I'm pretty sure it's this midweek. Uh, and then um, we'll be back next weekend. So, Ohm, good talking to you, buddy. I'll talk to you next weekend. All right, until then, a la Madrid. A la Madrid. Things the sun did pure, like a cup of virgin blood. Mixed with 151, one sip will probably make me flip. See my name in the hieroglyphs, like Osiris and Isis. Parables written inside papyrus is acknowledging. We've been all tricked, time to come out of it. Seeds watch us grow up and try to follow us. Police watch us roll up and try knocking us. One knee, I duck, could it be? My time is up, but my luck, I got up. The cop, I get bust out glass, burst a fiend, drops his Heineken. Ricochet between the spots that I'm hiding in. Black it out as I duck back, but can't get in hit. This is my hood, I'm a rep to the death of it. To everybody, come on. Little brothers is grown, hood rats. Don't abortion the wound. We need more warriors soon. Sip from the star, sun and the moon. In this life, a police chase is Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions.